Live from WNUR News, I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, April 14th. Tonight on WNUR News, student reactions to the Evanston shooting, monkeys under the northwestern sidewalks, and the numbers behind the infamous marriage pact. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6 p.m. Thanks for tuning in. On Wednesday night, Evanston police responded to a shooting on Clark Street Beach that left one person dead and two others injured. While the news of the incident spread on social media, Northwestern students were left with more questions than answers. Here's the story. On Wednesday night, 18-year-old Jacquees Irby was killed in a shooting at Clark Street Beach near Northwestern's campus. The incident, which left two other teens injured, occurred at approximately 8.10 p.m with the suspects reportedly fleeing towards campus. Although police response was prompt, Northwestern University notified its students 30 minutes after the incident occurred. I was studying Kresge, and I just um, was taking a break really quickly to get something at Target, so I walked to Target, and um, one of my friends who was South Campus at the time just you know, texted in our group chat, was like, yo, um, people are shooting right now. Picking up where students were already piecing together information, the first official notification came via a tweet. At 8.42 p.m., Northwestern tweeted a shelter-in-place order, followed by an email alert at 8.43 p.m. Medill freshman Brandon Conduritz was at Norris when the incident occurred, receiving messages from friends first. Someone from residential services actually got up and said, the situation's contained, you guys are good to go, you can leave. And so we all walked downstairs, we were about to head out, and then we got the emails and text messages saying to shelter in place. So we went back into Norris, went to, uh, first of all, they took it, they put us in a bathroom on the second floor. And then they said, okay, wait, this doesn't lock. Maybe we should go up to the third floor. It's a little more secure. So we went up to the third floor and hung out kind of like in the like student uh, organizations and activities office on the third floor of Norris. And they, you know, it was, um, Standard lockdown procedure, um, you know, lock the door, put paper over the windows, shut the lights off, and we just kind of sat quietly and, you know, just waited it out. We were unsure about, you know, what was happening or what the situation truly was, and we were just kind of relying on any lines of support we could get, you know, whether that's a university official, whether that was someone who was there, um, or just anything, honestly. The university statement to WNUR News addressing the discrepancy was, quote, Northwestern University Police, in collaboration with the Office of Global Marketing Communications, worked to send the shelter-in-place order, working closely with the Evanston Police Department to assure the correct information was communicated. The university sent the alert email, the text message, and updated Twitter at exactly the same time. End quote. However, according to an Evanston PD press release detailing the incident later that night, the department, quote, did not issue an order to shelter in place as responding officers determined this was not a random act and not an active shooter incident. Northwestern University did issue an order to shelter in place, end quote. From emails and texts, at 9.42 p.m., students also received an automated phone call with no information about the incident. You know, we were, we, I mean, it was all of us in a room, and so all of our phones started ringing at the same time. We were like, what the hell is this? And so we answer it. Okay. University police are responding to a report of a blank on the Evanston campus at blank. 
please avoid the area and await further info. That phone call would have been great if that was like the first line of defense, because I know some people aren't always, you know, they might not have their school email hooked up to their phone or they might not, you know, look at their text messages. But a phone call, I have a feeling if you're getting a phone call from Northwestern University, you're probably going to answer it. And so I think that that should have been the first line of defense and the message should have been portrayed. Like, I just think that it was it was an afterthought that wasn't thought through. Six email alerts were sent to students over the course of the night, one filled with confusion, concern, and calls to action for the future. My name is Onyakuri Salachikwago. I just go by Onyaka. Uh, it's concerning to me, you know, because it's, um, I think it makes everybody kind of wonder, like, how how much... Northwestern prioritizes student safety. I think it kind of points to a lot of other trends, like just about how student safety on campus isn't necessarily prioritized or policing like is fail fails on campus and in Evanston and stuff. But yeah. That was just it was such an interesting experience because you think that, you know, you see in the news that there are things happening at other schools and you know, I think there's a part of your brain that thinks, you know, oh, this could happen here. But, you know, I think you would want to think that it wouldn't. But, you know, it was just strange to like have like see, you know, like that that's a thing that's happening on this campus. You know, it's just very, very scary. On Thursday morning, University President Michael Schill addressed the 30 minute delay in a community wide email stating, quote, we have already met with key members of the leadership team to discuss what happened last night and have instructed them to review our response, our procedures, and the phone communication that was sent in error to ensure we do better when the next incident happens, end quote. No suspects have been identified at the time of this report, and as students continue to process the night's events, classes went on as normal the next day. You know, I was a little frustrated. I mean, I still like went to class yesterday and like, you know, got all my assignments and things turned in. I was a little frustrated uh, with the fact that there was no like, I mean, it's, you know, it's not something that professors have to do, professor TAs have to do. I just think that, you know, it's if you're being like, you know, a, a conscious person and understanding what happened, I think that it would be, it would be nice for professors to at least have like checked in and just kind of ask, you know, how people are doing. I had two classes yesterday, but I think university wide, you know, students are really banding together and really supporting each other during a time like this, which is, I mean, really, I think it's all you could ask for when something like this is happening because we all went through it together. So I think it's only right for us to process the emotions together as well. With calls for improving alert systems come continued discussions on the impact of gun violence in the United States, as well as policing in Evanston. There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack with all of those because um, I think a lot of Northwestern students are very emotional that it doesn't feel like Northwestern cares about our safety. Um, but then at the same time, there's this struggle of like this event affected Evanston community members more directly than it affected a lot of students on campus. There's this like really important issue of Northwestern student safety, but it's kind of become, in my opinion, a little like too on the forefront. Um, like there is somebody who passed away yesterday and I think I, there's, I'm a little like worried in the way that conversation is going because very quickly there's a lot of ways that people could just end up like creating more policing. Um, but at the same time, like this could be a time that we can all like work together really well toward a solution that works both for 
for Northwestern students and the larger Evanston community without like leaving that second part out. As both Northwestern and Evanston continue to process the incident, students are keeping the community accountable and how these conversations should continue to be carried out. I think this is a stressful time for a lot of people. And I think like at the end of the day, I hope everybody can also just kind of remember how like stressful of a time this has to be for um, for his family and his friends. Um, and so like while everybody is de-stressing right now to also like just keep them in your thoughts, you know, I think that's like always really important. I'm Maria Jimena Aragon, WNUR News. Moving on to arts and entertainment, let's revisit the Northwestern rumor that a colony of lab monkeys exists under our very own sidewalks. Reporter Helen Bradshaw has the story. A couple of months ago, my roommate Cade approached me in the kitchen. Helen, have you heard about the monkeys that are living underneath the sidewalks right outside Kellogg? What? Of course, it doesn't seem unlikely that a top research institution would have monkey labs. But still, why hadn't I heard this before? I asked around at one of our WNUR meetings, and a few members had heard the same rumor, but no one could confirm it. So I started digging. I study how gut microbes affect the health and the biology of the organisms that they live in. And a lot of the work that I do in that area is in wild non-human primates. Katie Amato is a non-human primate researcher at Northwestern. She studies gut microbes of monkeys in Mexico. I went to her first to learn about her work and if there were any on-campus primates other than us, of course. Most of the work that I do is still with wild primates. A lot of it is done through collaborators that have their own long-term field sites. I do work with the Lincoln Park Zoo still on projects here and there. Um, And then I do also work with some um, kind of captive research centers as well um, to get certain types of data. For Amato's work, a lab on campus isn't a reasonable choice. We know in terms of the microbiome that it changes in captivity um, because there's not the same sort of exposure to environmental microbes that are in like dirt and things like that. I believe there are some non-human primates uh, on campus. There are not very many is my understanding. Um, I think there's maybe a handful uh, and I'm not sure in terms of how they are distributed between campuses. So I went searching to see if I could find any indication that there were monkeys in building basements. I went to the Panko building, where I had been told the rumored monkeys might be. A a radiated laboratory animal diet. It has a mouse and rat diet. Does that mean it's four mice? Complete diet for rodents. Okay, not primates. Several bags of rat food and some awkward conversations with lab technicians later, and no non-human primates to be found. I did find some business cards with links to an animal science website, but I didn't have the credentials to access any of the pages. But Amato did give me information on another non-human primate researcher. Unfortunately for the great monkey mystery, Dr. Mark Seagraves retired in 2021. He wrote, Currently, there is no non-human primate research being done on the Evanston campus. So, although there were a few monkeys on Northwestern's campus in the past, there aren't now, at least not in Evanston. But just as I had come to this conclusion is when I learned about the work of Northwestern researcher Lee Miller. We set up a Zoom call. 
I'll just start with the basics. Could you talk a little bit about yourself, um, what type of research you do? Sure. Um, my primary appointment is at the neuroscience department down at the medical school. And I've been studying the way the brain controls limb movements, which means reaching and grasping movements with monkeys for quite a long period of time. They're all macaque monkeys and they're almost all rhesus. There are a couple of other sort of cousins of the rhesus that we've used, but for the most part, that's it. And they all live on the Chicago campus? Yes. Well, that answers part of the question. There are monkeys on Northwestern Chicago campus, but why are they there? How are researchers studying them? Essentially, Miller and his team implant a very small electrode array to monitor monkey brain activity. So we do a surgery uh, with you know, complete monitoring and anesthesia as you would do with a human in order to implant this thing. And then the monkey recovers from that. And then the monkey you know, can wander on his cage, come to the lab happily. Uh, to do these sort of video games that so you know we've we've done a surgery to implant this this array which he didn't give consent to but uh, the the kind of work that we do is necessary on one hand to understand the brain and on the other hand to develop technologies that that can be used to not to treat spinal cord injury, but in fact, to remediate the deficits that are the result of spinal cord injury. My own specialty is to restore the movement of the monkey's own limb and ultimately a human's limb through a process that we call functional electrical stimulation, which basically means you stimulate the muscles electrically and cause them to contract. A few years ago, Miller's lab had about a dozen monkeys. Now he's ramping down his work with them and only has about six at a time. At the end of their time in the lab, some of the monkeys are euthanized to look closer at their brains. As Miller's work ramps down, the future of non-human primates at Northwestern is uncertain. No other on-site monkey researchers are established on campus, and these six monkeys that reside on the Chicago campus may be Northwestern's last. For WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. On March 27th, Marriage Pact released their Northwestern campus report offering students a look into the patterns behind the numbers. Reporter Brendan Priesman has the student reactions behind the story. Chem majors are in relationships more, and I'm like, dang, maybe I should have stuck with that chemistry class. It does say chemistry majors are the least fully single. Yes. Interesting. I guess you could say they've got some chemistry then. The marriage pact at Northwestern was a craze in the fall quarter of 2022 when 4,876 students answered a variety of questions that they were told would set them up with the best romantic match. Matches were announced on November 11th, but after they were announced, most people either acted or didn't. And that seemed to be where things ended. Until March 27th, when the marriage pact finally released a bombshell. The aggregated campus-wide data of all those answers from way back in the fall. The data was obtained based off of the answers that the students themselves provided to the app and were aggregated and calculated by Marriage Pact. The data included certain breakdowns by political affiliation, religious affiliation, or lack thereof, major, and more. Perhaps the least surprising result, Northwestern as a whole is very single. At least 63% of all four grade levels answered a 6 or a 7, the two highest options, on a how single are you question while no more than 16% of any grade answered a 1 or a 2. Bea Villiaflor, a first year majoring in journalism and computer science, wasn't super shocked by the data. I think it's just because people study a lot. 
and they don't have time to be dating when they have lots of assignments to do. David Sampson, another freshman majoring in journalism and minoring in global health, also wasn't stunned by the results. I It confirmed a lot of things for me. Freshmen are the least single, with 62.6% answering that they were a 6 or a 7 on the single scale, while sophomores were the most single, with 68.9% answering 6 or 7. Northwestern's a pretty single Pringle campus, unfortunately for the majority of people. Another key part of the breakdown was how religion affected people's desire to take things slowly. A key question Marriage Pact asked was how long people believed it was appropriate to wait for sex. Muslims and Protestants were the most sexually conservative, while agnostics, atheists, and Jews were the least. 30% of Muslims gave a response of 7 on appropriate length to wait, with a 7 representing the longest possible amount of time, while just 1% of Jews did. The answers by religion proved very interesting, especially for those who were raised in religion. Vilia Flor, who was raised Catholic, was surprised that the religion's doctrines didn't play more of a role in the answering. As someone who identifies as Catholic and was raised Catholic, mm -hmm. obviously the doctrinal teaching in Catholicism is you wait till marriage. It's very interesting to see like over 50% of Catholics saying that it's okay to a little be quicker on it, I suppose. Like over 50% scored over like a one to a three. Samson, however, believed that some of the more surprising numbers, especially with regard to Catholicism and Judaism, had an easy explanation. But yeah, I mean, I feel like we're at a place where, like, some people do, are influenced by, like, their religious beliefs in that sense, but then other people are like, well, I'm going to take what I can from my religion, but I'm also going to live my life the way that I want mm -hmm. to. Many people also found the way traditional labels and gender rules affected answers was intriguing. Vilia Flor especially believed that there was a lot of pressure to answer the way people believe society in general would want or expect. People are incentivized to play up to certain things. She also said that some answers could have been shifted by personal choice to avoid embarrassment. There's definitely a lot of factors playing into how people answer. I know I definitely skewed my answers a little bit because I wasn't sure who was going to be seeing my answers. Samson found the results from the LGBTQ community especially interesting. He believed there might be a specific reason for the vast difference in bisexual identification between non-straight men and non-straight women. While 64% of non-straight women identified as bisexual, just 28% of non-straight men did. Samson, who identifies as gay, is curious to find the origins of and explanation for that gap. I think that's interesting. I don't totally know why, but I feel like there's got to be, like, some reason behind that. I don't know if that's, like, a scientific thing, if that's, like... A socio-cultural thing. I don't know, but I, just, I feel like those numbers do tell a story that's, like, different. I don't know. However, you also believe that in most cases, those labels are just unnecessary. I don't know. I think labels are stupid, to be honest. Go love hot people. Overall, the Marriage Pact data was about what most people expected. Northwestern is a very single campus that leans heavily liberal and is about evenly split between religious and non-religious. Maybe the most important part, though, from Villia Floor. It's just really fun to look at, honestly. I had a really good time analyzing this. Um... Indeed it is. All that data is available on https-northwestern.marriagepack.com slash campusreport. And this reporter, for one, has really enjoyed looking at it. The only thing more fun than looking at this data? Guessing where it will fall next year. 
For WNUR News, I'm Brendan Preisman. Welcome back to WNUR News. It's 6.20 p.m. Central Time. A glimpse of spring and a reminder to turn on your AC for this week's segment of Fairweather Friends. The sun has definitely returned. Emily Stoll brings us the weather update. Welcome back to WNUR's weekly weather forecast. I've got to tell you, it's been nice to see the sun a little bit this past week. Let's take a look at next week's forecast to see what's rolling in. From Evanston, Illinois, I'm Emily Stahl, and this is Fairweather Friends. Who's the weather? Guys, we did it. We made it through winter. As someone who is from California, I for one am relieved to feel the sun on my face again. Today is Friday, April 14th, and we're seeing a high of 69 degrees, the low of 58 in the early morning, all with partly cloudy skies. Looking ahead to next week, we might see some light showers this weekend and near the end of the week. Other than that, the air cools off a little bit with the highs being around the low 50s and the lows in the high 40s. Partly cloudy conditions are expected to last throughout the week, but hopefully that sun will be back soon. This forecast remains pretty consistent throughout the Midwest, except further down south will continue to rest in the high 60s and 70s. That's all for this week's segment of Fairweather Friends. Stay cool, guys. For WNUR News, I'm Emily Stahl. Taking a look into the headlines, this morning the Supreme Court issued an order to temporarily preserve a widely common abortion pill while the court considered whether to grant the Biden administration's emergency requests and FDA approval of the drug. An investigation is still underway in the stabbing of Cash App founder Bob Lee in San Francisco earlier this year, with court documents revealing that Lee was killed by a tech consultant, Nima Momeni, after the two men got into an argument over the suspect's sister. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNUR.News. That's WNUR.News. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today, Sarah Cadora, and our reporters are myself, Helen Bradshaw, Brendan Priestman, and Emily Stoll. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Maria Jimena Aragon. Catch our next newscast on Monday, April 17th, same time, same place. Now, back to scheduled programming.